Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 193. Today is May Day, Sunday the 1st of May 2016, and this interview is with Greg Verdino, business futurist, author, pundit, speaker, and leading authority on digital transformation. Greg is also managing partner and chief strategist at Verdino & Co., where he helps companies create content-driven digital experiences. In this conversation, we discuss the state of digital transformation, the definition and execution of a content strategy, why and how it can be an important part of your digital transformation process, as well as the future of content. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hey, so listen, welcome to the show. And today, uh, a repeat offender. I like to have repeat offenders. Greg Verdino. So Greg, you were on this show. I looked it up back in 2013. So that was about three years ago. Welcome back. So tell us, bring us up to date where you are, who you are, what you're doing, and what's your mindset? Hey, Minter. Thanks for having me back. Uh, three years is a long time. No doubt. It? it feels like a lifetime in this business. <laughs> uh, uh, so thanks for having me. So um, to bring you up to date a little bit, I feel like I've been living a bit of a double life, maybe. So as you know, um, I've been doing a lot of work in, broadly speaking, digital transformation. And that has translated itself into, this year at least, a lot of speaking activity. So I've been traveling the globe and talking to um, you know organizations and um, and conference attendees about what digital transformation means for their businesses and what interestingly, um, which I feel like is a topic that uh, that that a lot of people tend not to focus so much on, not what the unicorns are doing, but what the traditional enterprises are doing to react to digital, catch up to the gap between where their customers are and where their companies are. Um, so that's been exciting. I've seen a lot of hotel conference rooms for sure, sure. Um, and a lot of airports. Uh, mostly airports are the same, except here in New York where they're worse. <laughs> and um, you know, so that's one been one side of my business, and that's very much I think a linear progression from the kind of work I was doing when I was on a few years ago working in social business and digital uh, business and even innovation. Um, and then um, since the last time we spoke, I've also stood up a consultancy with um, the person who I'm obligated, um, probably by law, to say is the best business partner a man could ever hope for, my wife, sure. uh, which is something you know as well, obviously, sure. since your wife's involved with mindset. Um, and um, our business, uh, because of the sort of some of our shared background, is focused on content strategy uh, for organizations. Um, so what is my mindset? Yeah. Uh, gee, so... Um, Seven o'clock in the morning in New York. Yeah, at seven o'clock in the morning here in New York, my mindset is, "Where's that next cup of coffee?" <laughs> but uh, probably, if I if I zoom it out a little bit, um, you know, it's my mindset is uh, that uh, there's never a dull day, and um, when you work within the realm of digital and uh, in businesses that are being impacted by digital, um, that uh, that it's uh, you know that. Um, 
you know, there that it's you know it, it it's never been a better time to be in business. It's also never been a scarier time for a lot of people to be in business. It's certainly exciting. Sometimes you don't even need the Java to be staying up way late. So listen, Greg, um, cool on this digital transformation. I noticed uh, we were talking before that how well you position in SEO and getting in digital transformation. So you're really up there. Let's talk about the state of digital transformation because it's obviously. In our world, we hear it all the time. But where do you think it is? Uh, is everyone on board? Is everyone tackling it? Um, not everybody is tackling it, and certainly not everybody is on board. Um, certainly, many organizations, I think, have come a very long way. Uh, what I've seen, as I've, you know, as I said, kind of gone around the globe and spoken to lots and lots of executives and lots and lots of organizations, what I've seen is that in many cases the companies that I've spoken to um, have gone from talking about it and kind of treating it like it's the interesting, you know, sideshow freak um, and have begun to take action on it. Um, I think what's interesting is that there's a lot happening inside large incumbent organizations that these incumbent organizations aren't necessarily getting credit for. I think a lot of the dialogue um, has been around, you know, the unicorns and mm-hmm. uh, disruptors who were remaking industries. And that's absolutely true. You know, you can't deny it. But at the same time, what I'm seeing are a lot of incumbent organizations who are undergoing what I would call quiet revolutions. Um, and some are not so quiet. Like you look at, you know, GE, who went from being a light bulb company, essentially, at one point in their history, um, to really spearheading this idea of the industrial internet. Um, and that's a massive shift. But you're also seeing a lot of organizations take bite-sized chunks and really begin to identify the areas of their business that are most digitally contestable and create these revolutions from within. Um, and, um, you know, begin to chip away at this this digital beast. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, as I'm, you know, as I'm spending more time thinking about, you know, what's going on, what, you know, was, what's interesting to me, as you said, I, 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 I own the Google on digital transformation speaker, but, you know, as I think about it and I talk to companies, I start to wonder and worry about whether putting the word digital in front of it almost, um, you know, in some ways, ironically, diminishes it, right, and causes people or organizations to say, oh, it's just a technology thing, or we can hire a CDO and that guy will take care of right. it. Um, and when at the end of the day, you know, it's not simply a digital transformation, technology may be accelerating the rate of change that organizations need to grapple with and need to themselves go through. But fundamentally, it's a business transformation. And I think that's where a lot of companies are still getting tripped up. That totally makes sense, of course. And uh, I mean, when you get asked to talk about digital transformation, I would I would suspect that they they still look at that as the the way in. And and how so? How would you want to requalify? I mean, we just talked about it as a business transformation, but how would you qualify the transformation that needs to happen in order for the digital or the technology to be useful? Um. Yeah, I think fundamentally it's a, if I'm understanding your question right, um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of organization or any organization really needs to start from a point of, 
you know, of um, what the, the company is looking to achieve, right? You know, like, like any business, you know, like any business question, you answer it by understanding what the, what the, what the um, outcome should be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, beginning with an understanding of what it is the company's actually trying to achieve. The answer isn't, it never can be, it shouldn't be to be more digital, right? right? That's not the answer. Um, you know, that's almost the question, right? You know, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, instead it's, you know, uh, you know, for example, you know, how do we create more value for our customers? How do we create more value for our company? Uh, what kinds of value are we looking to create? What business, what businesses should we be in that we're not in today? Right. Um, and then develop a strategy um, communicate that strategy clearly. And this bridges to the other side of my business on content, you know, which is, you know, in some ways, you know, everything, everything in business in some ways is a communication problem. Um, you know, if leadership can't articulate a clear vision and a clear path and a role for everybody in the organization to play in a digitally transformed business, then the transformation is never going to take root and happen the way it should happen. Um, you know, so, you know, so, you know, starting with objectives, having a clear strategy, and then understanding how technology plugs into that strategy. If, and making if, yeah, if and when it plugs in. Because if it, and when, right? Yeah. I mean, not everything will, in fact, be technology. And, you know, as we were getting prepped for the, the show, um, you mentioned the futurist Gerd Leonhard. Yeah, sure. You know, and um, which, if people don't know him, he produces brilliant content and all of his, you know, keynotes are online um, and uh, they're, they're great to listen to. Um, although I suspect he wears the same shirt every <laughs> single time he speaks, which is interesting. It's kind yeah. of like a futurist Mark Zuckerberg, I yeah. suppose. Um, but, um, but um, nonetheless, um, you know, he, you know, as a futurist, you would think would be very much about the technology and what the technology means. But in fact, he very quickly, when you watch him speak, and you read the the content he produces, and I think he's spot on. Very quickly moves to yeah, but what are the human futures? Um, because you know, digital transformation isn't about technology; it's really about people. Um, whether it's the people you serve outside the business, your customers, uh, whether it's the people that make up your business, the human beings that work in your organization, um, you know, and, you know, who might be scratching their heads and saying, well, what does this mean for me? Or they might be hearing things, you know, you hear stats like, you know, 40 to 50% of all jobs will be automated out of existence. You know, so when a CEO stands up and says, we're going through a digital transformation and we are, you know, we're looking at automation as a way to increase efficiency in the business and and, you know, anybody who's smart enough to, re, you know, to, to Google job automation is bound to find themselves staring at articles saying, hey, your job's at jeopardy. And now here you are sitting in wherever it is, a call center, a marketing department, a sales team, the accounting department. And you're going, well, wait a second. If, you know, you know, it's either my job or the guy next to me. Why should I embrace transformation if I if I'm going to be out of work as a result of it? And people, st- you know, put the brakes on. You know, so a lot of this transformation, going back to your point, in a very long-winded way. No, but but, nice. You know, it is early in the morning. Um, is so I'm just getting going. Yeah. Um, is this idea that you know transformation isn't necessarily all about technology? Yeah. It's about the human beings that make up the organization. It's about the business model. It's about the way you think of your products and services and whether your products are services or should be. And, um, you know, technology in many cases can enable 
new models, new products, new services, a new way to think about the workforce and engage that workforce and make them productive. Um, but it is not fundamentally a technology question as far right. as I'm concerned. I get that. And I think that, you know, you're mentioning before the notion of communication. And at the end of the day, if you're communicating to your shareholders, how about we're going to reduce our costs and at the same time, you don't take care of your internal employees and the impacts it's going to have on them, then that becomes a, a massive nightmare. Yeah. I mean, the shareholders may not care. They just hear, right. they just hear oh, for uh, sure. you know, but, reduce costs. Fantastic. I love it. But your stakeholders will yeah. care. <laughs> right. So um, you, you've been focusing on content, Greg, and you know, or maybe it's a side part of your business and or, and, or maybe it's a, a, a key element within the transformation story. But let's start by asking what is content? I mean, I suspect that there are pretty much for everyone you ask a different possible solution or a different possible definition. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that that confusion or complexity is further exacerbated by the fact that um, there are essentially two, in some ways, wholly separate movements in content right now. One is the rise of content strategy, which is all about how you make content a strategic asset of the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other side, you've got the rise of content marketing, of course, which um, is about how you use content to engage people and convert them into customers. Um, And those are two camps that, I mean, they should be holding hands and walking down the path, but it's interesting to actually watch that um, they're two camps that tend not to see eye to eye, particularly the content strategists who, like anyone who's got the word strategist in their business title, look at the marketers as a bunch of crass buffoons. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and the marketers um, look so at the got, strategists saying you guys are a bunch of you know, highfalutin, very you know, top-level, where, where are the people in the ranks? Right, exactly. So you've got those two things going on. But, I mean, I think you know, for me – you know, content, you know, my definition of content sits much closer to the content strategist's definition of content, that it's not necessarily about cranking out a bunch of tonnage because you need to stay relevant on Google and Facebook and Twitter and, you know, keep kind of pounding away kind of HubSpot style, you know, every three minutes you've got another, you know, little thinly veiled promotional piece called a white paper being pumped, you know, out to, to prospects. Uh, to give the sales guy another excuse to call, um, you know, and obviously there's a there's a place for that, <laughs> but you know, my definition is much closer to the content strategy definition. So, you know, I tend to look at content as the value it creates for the organization, um, and I think that there's t- there it's it's tiered value. Um, you know, content in many ways is is the way the business represents itself. It's a representation of the business. It's a representation of the brand. It's a representative of what the company stands for. Uh, In many ways, in an age that is increasingly digital, it's not only the first thing people come in contact with. In a lot of cases, it's the only thing people come in contact with, you know, as it it relates to what the brand represents and what the brand and the company offers. Um, And certainly in the case of a company selling a product, it becomes the thing you still you know, one way or another, um, come in contact with most often, right? You know, and content really cuts across, you know, it's, it's, it's marketing content. It's, it's even, it's collateral, it's product information. It's what the customer service representative says on the phone. It's what your CEO says when he's talking to stakeholders, Right. So it's dynamic. It's, it's, uh, very human. It's not just a digital asset. 
Exactly. I mean, a lot of these things get represented as digital assets, certainly, because that's the age we're in. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, fundamentally, um, content becomes a piece of what the customer uh, it, I mean, certainly it's a piece of what the customer experiences, but it becomes a piece of what the customer values and is paying you good money for. Whether that means you're launching a content product, you know, quote unquote, that people are willing to buy that's different from or separate from your core product, or it adds so much value to your core product that when you, you know, that when somebody chooses to buy that core product, they're expecting a content experience as part of what they get. All right, so I, I hear you, and I totally resonates, of course. How do you actually implement that? And, and maybe the sort of the sub-question is, who's responsible for it? That's, you know, and there's, you know, I wish there were a pat answer. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe I don't, because then we would be, you know, we wouldn't be getting nearly as much <laughs> client business um, if it were right. so easy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think who implements it is, is very different from organization to organization. Um, I mean, again, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to, you know, a little bit like a broken record going back to my, you know, what I was saying about digital transformation and that um, number one, and I think this is a mistake a lot of organizations are making is um, a lot of companies are jumping into content because they're reading about it and they have their tactical checklist and they've got to check the box and, you know, somebody starts making stuff. I mean, I won't even, I won't mention the name of the brand, but it is a large global brand that I'm doing some work with right now, uh, where, you know, for them, you know, they think, you know, when they say content, they literally mean, well, how do we, how do we throw stuff up on Snapchat? Right. Or, you know, well, we need to put more stuff on Facebook, but our agencies are too expensive. How do we create more Facebook stuff? Um, you know, and, you know, and that's what a lot of companies are doing is they're taking a very tactical approach because they feel like they have to get content out there. We need more content, content, content. Right. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, you don't need, I mean, certainly in many ways, you don't need more content, you need better content. Um, and, you know, we find ourselves actually telling organizations to create less content that is of greater strategic value. Um, so that's number one is, again, it comes back to this idea of shifting a mindset, um, trademark mentor dial um and um and and you know taking a more strategic approach and having a strategy for how or, or uh, i would say having a stra content strategy but more importantly understanding how content fits into your business strategy yeah. and your marketing strategy um but then also um you know as it comes down to the specifics of tactical execution i think organizations need to understand um, whether they're doing it in-house or they're doing it through partners, whether they're doing it in their marketing department or they're setting up a separate um, group inside the organization or it's part of everybody's job because let's say you're a business-to-business -business organization, um, you know, your expertise is you know, democratized across your organization, right? Your engineers might be the best source of content, at least the, the nuggets that make up content in a, let's say, a B2B technology company. They may not know how to write, but, you know, so they might need right. somebody to finesse this stuff and turn it into compelling con uh, copy or visuals or video or whatever. Um, but, you know, the expertise can come from any place. Um, you know, so there's no pat answer, but I think that the, you know, one of the key elements is this idea that um, many organizations 
have the expertise in terms of product expertise, sector expertise, customer expertise, uh, but typically need to up their game in terms of content production expertise, uh, both in terms of workflow and governance and process and that kind of stuff, but also knowing what makes for good content. And that means, you know, potentially bringing in different skill sets, like journalistic skill sets, for example. Right, so if I listen to you then, Greg, it, you know, if I capture... And I recommend you don't listen to me, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, go ahead, as you were saying. When I listen to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I get this, I hear this notion that it, it involves many parts of the organization. Uh, it involves governance and processes. And is that how you would qualify the use of content as a way to drive transformation? Yeah, well, I think there's two things. I think it's it, it travels hand in hand with transformation. Um, you know, again, just like digital, it's not a content transformation; it's a business transformation. Um, you know, so certainly through some of this kind of foundational stuff, from objectives to strategy to workflow and governance and process and organization and all of that. Um, I think it is part and parcel of a, of a business transformation. Um, then there's another, you know, kind of like the, I would say the softer side of content as it relates to transformation um, comes down to the fundamental reality, I believe, that um, stories motivate new behaviors and beliefs. And that's not new, you know, that's, I mean, that goes all the way back to the, the beginning of storytelling, right? Right, you know, we, we drew the, not we, because I'm not quite that old, but we drew the, you know, we drew the, 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 scary, and... the scary beast and the man with the spear on the, on the wall of the cave to number one, say, Hey, this is, we're going to, you know, you've got to hunt to eat. Number one, number two, beware the scary beast. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, beliefs and behaviors, um, you know, and, and that's still fundamentally true. And that's almost, you know, the irony of the age, right. Is that, um, for all of the talk about technology at the end of the day, people are still people, um, which I guess maybe is one of the key themes of, this conversation and, you know, certainly a Depeche Mode song um, is, you know, that people are people and, you know, we are motivated by stories. And I think what a lot of leaders forget is that um, when faced with scary changes like a business transformation, something that's going to cause people to have lots of questions, uh, be a little bit unsure about the role they're going to play, to be um, maybe skeptical of the organization's motivations even, um, that you know, for the leaders in that organization to be storytellers who are capable of bringing these people along, who are able to kind of create these compelling narratives that are going to stick, to paraphrase the Heath brothers, right? Um, that people will remember, that will be, you know, kind of emotionally engaging, that will be shared around the organization, um, that becomes an incredibly powerful tool for taking your team on the journey with you. And I think that's where a lot of leaders, frankly, uh, drop the ball a little bit. You know, they have a very intellectual approach. They get up in front of their, their organization or they get on a webinar or whatever, and they you know, show a PowerPoint. They share some of the statistics. They talk about how the company is going to grow from a revenue or profitability standpoint. They, you know, plop out a list of pilot initiatives or whatever, all of which may be perfectly true and maybe sensible and strategic. But 
everyone hangs up the the phone on the webinar and they've Roll totally their forgotten. Eyes. They've forgotten the what. They've forgotten the why. They don't feel like they're part of the process. Yeah. Um, you know, and to me, that's where content. You know, if you think broadly about stories and storytelling, um, becomes a, a critical um, tool for driving transformation through an organization. Well, there's no doubt. As a speaker, storytelling is what we have to do. Absolutely right. And you know, as a speaker, you know, you might drop a few kind of holy crap stats or whatever well, that get people to sit back sure. and think. But, you know, if you sat there and you and you showed, you know, bar graph after bar graph, you'd be, you know, thrown from the stage, right? And one, uh, of, one of the things that you and I have shared and and uh, I think makes you stand out is that you, you've been in business and so you've packed right. the practice. <laughs> so the, the challenge we have a lot, a lot of times, and, and I have as well, is – is putting a value on the type of work we're doing. Because at the end of the day, it can be awfully loosey-goosey to say, well, we should inject more storytelling into our business. What kind of parameters or what's the conversation that goes on when you are talking to a CEO about driving content and he, and he or she says, well, you know, but what's the value of that? You know, how's it going to help? You know, how can I measure the value it's having on my business? Yeah, I mean, you're right that it's still a little bit tricky. Um, you know, I mean, there's, I think there's a few layers. Um, you know, one is, um, you know, there are, you know, and this almost sounds like a contradiction to my previous point about, you know, kind of stories over data. Um, but, you know, there have been there's studies. Stories out of data. There's stories right? out of data. Right. You know, and that's number one, right? Stories out of data is certainly one interesting idea, which is, you know, we can take dry data and we can make a story that people will actually remember. Mm -hmm. um, but then there are studies like, the, you know, that sort of classic study out of Carnegie Mellon that, you know, showed that, you know, stories motivate people better than data alone. And in many cases, I think the second finding was actually that stories and data is less effective than just the story without the data. Um, so, you know, certainly you've got that sort of, you know, it's an interesting because there's data to prove that, you know, emotional appeal and storytelling is, you know, can, is a more effective tool than just laying out the facts. Um, you know, so for any leader who is serious about making sure that change sticks, um, you know, there's that sort of ironically, you know, kind of framed emotional appeal about the, about, you know, backed up by data, I guess. Um, you know, but, you know, then when you get down to the brass tacks of it and somebody says, okay, well, now help me, you know, figure out, you know, what this really means and, you know, prove to me that this, you know, if I spend X, I'm going to get Y. It's not always that clear, right? We know that no, as, no. you know, as marketers. Grew, as, right, as guys that grew up in marketing, you know, we know that you can't always draw that direct line, you know, to, you know, dollar in, dollar and a half out, mm -hmm. um, but that there is still value created over time. So I think in many ways, we go back to those same sort of models for representing value. And, you know, as business people, again, you know, it's not just, you know, kind of airy fairy storytellers, you know, we use some of the same techniques and technologies and methodologies and spreadsheets and formulas and analysis that we would do for any kind of business investment, you know, ultimately building a business case. Yeah. And um, it's sometimes it's almost like if you can put a, a mm -hmm. monetary value on it for the customer, whether or not you sell it, that can be yeah. a way to sort of create ROI. So Greg, since sure, time is winding down, I wanted to just get into one last uh, space, which is as um, as futurists, 
and looking into the future where there is uh, importance in, in what content is and what how it's being consumed. How do you see it evolving in the future? It's it's obviously still many people are catching up on where we are today, but where do you see it going? Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot of ways we could do a whole podcast about that, I'm sure, <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll hit on a few angles, I think. Um, I think that, you know, we are moving to one extent or another, and I believe a fairly great extent, to a world where content is this sort of contained thing that lives on a few screens that, you know, surround us, right? You know, we've got our television, our tablet, our laptop, our mobile phone, um, and content for the most part is still being created to live on those screens, right? With a big, you know, as you know, in the world of marketing, the big debate going around like, well, you know, how do, you know what's, the con- what's the mobile context and how should our content be a little bit different within a mobile context versus in a desktop or whatever. Sure. Um, but we're rapidly moving you know, at the hands of things like the Internet of Things, um, virtual reality, augmented reality, and technologies like those, we're rapidly moving towards um, a day where content is untethered and literally lives on and across just about everything, right? right. So, um, Greg, can I just you know, that, butt in a second? So uh, VR, virtual reality, I can see, you know, storytelling being enhanced and empowered. IoT or Internet of Things, how how does that play out? Give us an example. So, so there's a couple of things. Obviously, number one, um, there's the you know the the fact that you know and any connected device can of course become a delivery device, right? So um, a simple example is um, you know Amazon's Alexa, right? Where now if you are an organization who has a content strategy and you're thinking about how do I serve customers with content. Now you need to think about not just how does it look on a television versus a desktop versus a mobile phone or a watch, uh, but now how does that content get represented audibly? Um, you know, so for example, you know, and this gets into sort of like some content technical geekery, but, you know, if you were developing for, you know, visual, you know, vi- written text on a screen, um, you might, you know, you might tag something in your WordPress or your CMS or whatever. You might tag it as italics because you know when somebody reads something italicized, they're going to emphasize that word as they read it. Um, but if it's being presented on an Alexa, italicized means nothing at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it needs to instead be tagged for emphasis so that it, you know, the the algorithm knows that the artificial intelligence needs to emphasize a particular word as we do when we speak. Um, you know, so certainly you've got this, you know, in the simplest sense, this idea that all of these connected devices become content devices and Alexa, you know, your Samsung refrigerator with a screen that can scroll information or whatever that happens to be. Um, the other thing that we're starting to see, which I think is more interesting is, um, a, a, a small trend so far, you know, but it's, you know, at the edges of companies, who make even physical products that we don't normally think of as digital devices beginning to find ways to integrate content directly into the product experience. And today, of course, that, you know, still um, requires sort of pairing of a, you know, a sort of a, 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 an analog device, let's say, with a digital device to make the, you know, to present the content. Um, but obviously that'll change over time. So a, a good example, one that I use a lot of, at a lot of in a lot of my speeches um, is something that Diageo is doing with Johnny Walker Blue, 
Um, and basically, they're testing these smart bottles that have a, um, you know, that have a, a code on them. And you use your phone in the store, and that bottle delivers a content experience that includes everything from history of the brand and um, ratings and reviews and maybe coupons to incent you to buy that product in store. Is that like um, a, an a augmented reality approach? Um, well, they're using today. They're simply delivering this content onto a phone, um, and see. it's kind of like I would say it's light augmented reality. I see. Um, right. And but I think ultimately over time, you know, as we have smart glasses and all of these other things, it becomes much more environmental, and it doesn't just unlock some content on your phone, but in, it unlocks something much more compelling. But what's interesting about that example to me is, you know, that's one content experience, and then the bottle knows when it's been purchased. And it knows when it's outside of the store environment and you brought it home. So once you have it home, it's not going to deliver um, you know, re ratings, reviews, and coupons. It's going to deliver recipes and pairing notes and whatever else might be valuable to you as a customer. And tell you when um, you're 10% low, you got to buy another one. Right, and that, of course, too, right? So um, you start to see um, the content that become truly a piece of the product experience well, where it's not just content as a product, which uh -huh. is the idea of, you know, Red Bull treating their content as a product that people would ultimately, in some cases, like their magazine, potentially even pay for, uh -huh. um, but also treating the product itself as, you know, a channel for and a platform for content that gets delivered throughout the life cycle of the product and ultimately the life cycle of the customer. Well, I, I, we're going to finish on this, uh, but I, I've been um, working with uh, Babalot on their, ten their connected tennis racket. And to say it's mm -hmm. been a good experience uh, so far, not there. But it, it, does, <laughs> it brings up just like the point you were mentioning, the tethering to the, the mobile screen. I, I find it regrettable in some regrets that I would ha I, I still at this point have of course it still doesn't work but that when it will I will have to sort of stop go over to the side and look at my my mobile synchronize it and have it come up as opposed to having the statistics be on the tennis racket without of course right. impacting yep. the quality of the tennis racket because it is a high yeah. high end quality. But anyway, fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah, we're not there yet, but you know, I think we'll we'll get there. And there are certain contexts where it makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Not as much sense if you have to go look at your mobile phone in the middle of a tennis match. <laughs> but if you're running and your Adidas sneakers are delivering stats to you in real time, uh, certainly those stats can be delivered over the audio channel of your phone that's in your pocket anyway. Right. right like you know, hey, you're about to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Or no, but I mean, oh, that, you know, why although not? Although in my case, yes. Well, no, um, no, no, that, that would be incredible. Incredibly valuable, though, right. certainly as a as a piece of content delivered one yeah, on one yeah, not to, to mention, somebody. Who... Not to mention the fact that it automatically does a medical officer. I mean, you know, it could go crazy. That whoa, we're seeing to the future, aren't we, Greg? <laughs> uh, I think we are. All right, listen, Greg. Um, go and get one more Java, but before that, tell us how can someone best find you, Chris. Look, searching for digital transformation speaker is one way. What, that what's would your, certainly what, be one way. Um, the other way, way? Uh, well, two ways. Um, one is to, um, if you're if you're more interested in digital transformation and futures and uh, technologies, best way to find me is gregverdino.com, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. Yep. Um, and then uh, for anybody who is more interested in the content side of things and the work I'm doing there, uh, we are at verdino.co um, because uh, 
I've saved all of my creativity for my customers. So um, I just uh, every every URL and every company I have is branded with my name. That's good. <laughs> well, I just I, I just uh, completed a session this week with a company called Donuts uh, that uh, is the broker or wholesaler of Notcom URLs. And so yeah. we've been talking a lot about the, the, the existence of .media, .wine, right, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, who? Greg, beautiful. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to hook up again, chat about some good, fun stuff, and look forward to seeing you. Well, well, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll do another podcast within the next three years, but let's see you soon. <laughs> Absolutely. All good right. talking to you, man. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. Rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm, wrapped in canvas. Hold me.
Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.